We are finishing up uh, the third part of our series called God is Happy. Would you turn to the person next to you and say, God is happy? Turn to the person behind you and say, God is happy. Turn to the, <laughs> turn to the person in front of you, tap them on the shoulder and say, God's happy. And so we, in this series, we had a couple of objectives that we were trying to get to. The first objective was I wanted to destroy the lie that God is angry in a state of anger, always frustrated with you and me. That's not who he is. And uh, if you didn't get that and you still struggle with that, you need to go back and watch that, uh, that service. We have it online for you. It's amazing. You can learn the real truth of who God is. And the God that we serve, he doesn't live in a state of anger. He's God. And he loves you and me. And then the second goal in this series, was, uh, which we did last week, was I wanted to prove to you that God actually delights in you. He doesn't just love you. He likes you. He made you weird on purpose. And though everyone else may not like you, he likes you. And, uh, and that he made you the way you are and that he delights in you. And I tried to prove that to you last week. And I think we did a good job of it through scripture to understand. And I want to I debunk the lie that if you, keep, if you do good, then God likes you. But if you do bad, God doesn't like you. And that's not even real Christianity. That's not even genuine salvation. And so we talked about that last week. Go back and watch that. If you still think that unless you do good, God's mad at you and he doesn't like you. And if you, if you pray more than everybody else, he likes you more than everybody else. That's a, that's a bad philosophy. That's not even accurate doctrine. And that's not who God is. You need to go back and watch those teachings on that so you can change because you need to change. And the third piece and, and purpose that we had in this series is to help you understand that if God abides in a state of happiness... Then so should we. We're his children. And so with that being said, today we're going to jump into, and we've titled this segment of God is Happy series, and that is part number three is titled A Merry Heart. Would you turn to the person next to you and say, have a merry heart? Tell them, say, have a merry heart. Our key scripture is found in Proverbs chapter 17. Here's our key scripture. Remember, try to, try to memorize or at least mark the key scripture every week. And uh, if you'll do that 52 weeks out of a year, you'll have more scripture in your life than the majority of Christians in America. Proverbs 17, 22, actually taking it out of the King James Version for the first time in a long time. It says, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. A merry heart does good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. I could translate this a little bit better into our vernacular by saying it like this, and that is a merry heart is good medicine for the soul. It's good medicine for the soul. A merry heart is good medicine for the soul. Years ago, I did a mission trip to Trinidad, Tobago. And that was awesome. Man, we planted a church. We prayed for people, blind eyes open. It was magnificent. People's lives were touched. Many people came to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. And while we were there, they loved this thing called shark and bake. And what they do is they catch the little sharks in the surf, and they cut them up, and they, and they bake them with a pineapple, which is, you know, growing on all the trees there out in that Caribbean area. And Trinidad, Tobago is, you know, an island uh, amongst all those island chains down there. It's amazing. And I ate shark and bake every day. It was awesome. And then they took me into the forest area where they had the coca plant, not where you get cocaine from, but where you get chocolate from. And some of you had a thought there, didn't you? And, uh, and it's, you know, Ooh, you did, didn't you? Praise the Lord. That's how we how do you think we bought this building? Anyway, so they, um, <laughs> and so, and so there, and there's this big bean. It's, it, it, they call it a bean, but it's this pod looking thing. They pulled one off a tree and cut it open. Let me taste it. And they said, they said, pastor, this is where it comes from. This is where the coca plant, this makes the chocolate. And we know you like the chocolate. And I said, yeah, I like the chocolate, man. I like it. And so, uh, and so uh, on the airplane ride though, something hit me on the airplane ride back home. All of a sudden I felt the coca plant. 
wanting to come out of the coca, coca intestines of Adam McCain. And so I, I'm telling you, it hit me. And if, if you've done a lot of missions, we use the term Montezuma's Revenge. Anybody know what that is? All right. And so uh, it started coming out. There was no squeezing of the cheeks to keep it in. And so, sorry to be so personal. I'm sorry. We're family here. And so I go running to the back of the airplane and I'm sitting there and man, it is painful. And prom- I promise you, the little light comes on. Please return your seats. We're about to land. The lady starts knocking on the door. Sir, you need to return your seat. Ma'am, if I return to my seat right now, it ain't going to be good. This is the only seat worthy of me sitting on right now. I promise you, sweet lady. You, listen, you can, you, can, you, can, you can risk it with me in the toilet or you you can clean up afterwards, whichever one you want, but this is what's going to happen. I am probably the only time I've ever landed while sitting on the pot. Come on, somebody. It's amazing. And so in those days, I traveled, and, and what I did for, for ministry is I went every week, and I ministered in churches around the United States, around the world, preached and saw people saved, encouraged churches, planted churches. That's what, that's what God had me doing in those days. So as soon as I landed there uh, back here in Texas, I then hit the road traveling, ministering to churches. I was booked for about... Uh, uh, for about two month period. And so, I mean, I'm struggling. I am dying. On, I mean, stuff is coming out of me that should not be coming out of me. And so, I mean, the first thing I do is go over to the, to the pharmacist and, and I give, take whatever they'll give me over the counter. And so they give me some stuff. I'm, I'm popping Pepto-Bismol pills. I'm doing whatever I can. And I'm preaching from church to church. And you talk about tough. I'm standing in the pulpit sometimes and I can feel it like, oh, Jesus, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus. Like I've been 10 minutes into this message, but God bless you guys. And I'm out, you know. And I mean, that was happening. And so two weeks into it, I'm dying. Like I, I, I'm passing out because I, I can't eat anything because anything I eat just comes right through me. I mean, I'm trying to stuff bread and cheese. Come on, somebody, anything, to, bananas. I'm trying to stop the whole thing. I'm trying to plug the hole. And then it, it's not, nothing's working. So two weeks into it, I finally, I stopped trying to be a man and I just go and I humble myself. I go to the doctor. I tell him what's going on. I, and he's like, man, you are sick. How do you even have energy to get out of bed? And I just, because I'm a man of God, hallelujah. Anyway, people are praying for me, you know, and, and I'm traveling. So it's not like I can be consistent with any kind of, you know, any kind of medical process. And so I finally get to a doctor and, uh, and, and so they, he gives, he prescribes these antibiotics and I think he shoots me in the backside. I don't know. Anyway. And, uh, and so I'm thinking that'll work the next day. I'm worse than I've ever been. I'm just struggling. I mean, in every church I go to, there's always that one mama in the house. Oh baby, what you need is you need to take some casserole and mix it in with some pepper. And then you got all the herbal freakazoids, you know, what you need here, you need this herbal stuff you need to take. And then you got all you little guys with all your little, uh, what you call it, your little stuff you put on everything? Essential oil. So you put some of that under your nose, that'll heal anything, you know? It's like, what? And so I'm doing that. And I'm telling you, I'm a month into this thing and nothing is staying in me. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not hardly able to get out of bed and I'm, I'm laying in, I'm in people's homes because I'm preaching in their church. And they're all laying hands on me. Nothing's working. And I preached this one night. I was in Ohio. And, and, and towards the end of this whole process, I'm preaching. And I'm like, I'm holding. And I said, God loves y'all. He wants to heal you and do miracles in your life. I don't know why he won't do one for me, but God loves you. And, and afterwards, this older man comes up to me. He says, he says, son, are you okay? I said, what do you mean? He goes, you look like death. And my, he said, your eyes are all sunk in. You look super skinny. I can see your ribs. Friends, I'm going to tell you something. In three weeks, I had lost 25 pounds. 
Listen, they, listen, Biggest Loser had nothing on Montezuma's revenge. I'm telling you right now. It's not the way you want to lose weight. But I, at, And at those days, I could not lose 25 pounds. 25 pounds, that's like, that's for where, how small I was in those days. That was not good. And she's like, look, you look like you're dying. Your skin's got the wrong color. I mean, you're, you're sweating everywhere. He goes, uh, are you okay? I said, listen, I told him what I did. I said, I was on a mission trip. I think I got an amoeba. And I've been to the doctor. They've given me some stuff. He goes, wait right here. I'll be right back. I'm going to go to my office. So he, about 30 minutes later, he comes back. I'm still standing around the church trying to pray for people and stuff. And he pulls out this little sample package. And I said, what is that? He goes, well, he said, hey, in those days, I don't know if you remember. Do you remember when anthrax was a real scare? People were like, people were trying to kill people by mailing them anthrax in the mail. He said, this has been the medical uh, society's solution to anthrax. It, it, it's called Cipro. He said, whatever, whatever you got, it'll fix it. I'm like, I don't care. At this point, I just want to die, so I'll take anything. And, you know, I mean, I, you know, I'll do it. And so, and so the service is over. And that night, I'm staying actually with the pastor and his family. And so I'm upstairs. He's taking his daughter's bedroom, giving it to me, and she's downstairs with them. And then his son and I are sharing a, you know, a, a Jack and Jill bathroom. And so I take this Cipro, and I'm telling you, in 30 minutes, I thought I was going to die. Everything inside of me went, <laughs> Everything, I, I, I went and ran, and I sat on the toilet, and stuff is coming. I saw bubble gum from junior high days coming out. I mean, listen, at one point, I thought, that's my tongue. Somehow my tongue has come out. I am, I'm so mad at this guy. If I'd have been a cussing man, I'd have been cussing him. I'm going to tell you right now. I was so mad. This guy's giving me something, and I'm going to die. They're, they're going to bury me in Ohio. Dear God, please do a miracle. And I'm like, I, don't, I, can't, even, I, can't, even te- I can't even text my wife to tell her. I'm in trouble. And I'm just sitting there and I kind of, I, I still don't know how I got in bed. I have no idea how I got in bed. And I woke up six hours later and I woke up and I was like, what? What? Oh, I felt like a man. I went downstairs and the little pastor's wife was cooking. She said, would you like some breakfast? I said, yeah. How much can I eat? She goes, you're eating? She said, I thought you were sick. I said, not anymore. I said, give me six eggs, a pound of bacon, five, five slices of toast, put jelly and butter. I ate like I hadn't eaten in forever. Can I tell you something? The right medicine brought revival to my life. Do you know what you need? You need a merry heart because it's good medicine for your soul. It's good medicine for your soul. He says, this is the medicine that your soul needs, is the merry heart. Today, I want to dive into helping you understand. First and foremost, how do you get a merry heart? How does that happen? Well, Jesus kind of qualifies this in Matthew chapter 22. In Matthew chapter 22 and verse 37, he's approached by the law teachers, the religious people. And they said, "Uh, Jesus, of all the great words that God's told us, all the law of Moses, What's the greatest of all the commands? And Jesus qualifies it like this. You'll see it on the screen. I'll paraphrase real quick. He says, first commandment is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. He said, but the second one, just as is powerful. He says, and that is to love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Jesus lays out how you and I can get a heart transplant. Can I tell you something? Before I was a Christian, I didn't care about you. I cared about me. 
Before I was a Christian, security, insecurity, doubt, unbelief ruled my life. Perversion ruled my life. What I needed was a heart transplant. When we're talking about a merry heart is a good medicine, the first thing that has to happen is your heart has to be ripped out and the heart of God's got to be put in your chest. And Jesus qualifies how that happens. Number one, he says it like this, and I'll paraphrase it like this. You and I must have a loving, obedient relationship with Jesus. If you want a merry heart, the first step is you got to get a loving, obedient relationship with Jesus. Why? Because all of a sudden, your life doesn't matter. When I became a Christian and I began to obey Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, all of a sudden, my heart changed. All of a sudden, I, I never forget going down to that altar and giving myself to Jesus, and I wept. I didn't cry before. Weak people cried. But when I gave my heart and took it out of my chest and, and he put his heart into my chest, all of a sudden, everything changed. All of a sudden, I had the heart of God beating in my chest. Why? Because I fell in love with Jesus and I began to obey his teachings. And then Jesus said, and the second is just as important, and that is that you, number two, would love your neighbor as you love yourself. Can I explain something to you? The proof that you've had a heart transplant is in the fact that you can love your neighbor. Especially when they don't do your dirty, they do you wrong. Your coworkers, the people who live down next door, the folks that you do life with, you know, in your family unit. The fact that you can love them. Can I explain something to you? Until you have the heart of God beating in your chest, you can't really love other people. Why? Because everything is filtered between how does it affect you. You might do good deeds, but you only do that because you want everybody to notice how good you are. You don't do it out of real love. That's why it says love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Because if you love yourself, you don't go around hurting yourself. Come on, somebody. You don't talk bad about yourself. Man, have you seen that Adam McCain? He's an idiot. I don't know why he's a pastor. I don't go around doing that. You don't go around talking bad about yourself, but you'll talk bad about somebody else. And the reason why is because love your neighbor as much as yourself hasn't taken deep root. But the moment you and I become a Christian, what happens is his heart comes, starts beating inside of our chest. And then what transpires is this. We have the joy of our salvation. It's so exciting to be a Christian. And we get saved, and it's wonderful. We've got a new heart. We feel alive again. And then guess what happens? This world and its system and all the demonic forces begin to try to steal the joy of your salvation. You can try to steal it. Man, you remember when you first became a Christian? You were like, this is awesome. Man, I didn't know you loved me like this. Joy came over you. You cried a little bit maybe. You, 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 you couldn't believe that, that, that you were destined to hell and now everything has shifted and God, his heart comes down inside of you. You start li- liking people again. You start being nice again. You start loving your neighbor as much as yourself. But then what happens is, those of us that have been saved 30, 40, 50 years can tell you, a little bit at a time, the enemy tries to harden our heart again, make us selfish again, keep us, get us in depression and bitterness. makes no sense to me to call yourself a Christian and, and, and have deep, deep anger inside of you and have deep, deep depression constantly dominating your life. Oh, I know bad things happen. That's life. But what you've got to learn is the key is a merry heart because that's the good medicine for your soul. And so just because I became a Christian, just because I had a heart transplant, doesn't mean that all hell is not trying to steal the joy of my salvation. So today, I want to teach you not only how to protect the joy of your salvation, how to protect your merry heart, but also how to continue developing your merry heart. Is that okay today? Can I help you with that? Say yes. Come on, say yes. Number one, how to protect and strengthen a merry heart. Number one is that you got to use your eternity filter. Stay with me. You've got to use your eternity filter. Right now, I can see you because I have my glasses on. There's a piece of glass between me and you. And, that, and I filter. it filters the way I see you. It actually magnifies you. Thank you for being there. It's a filter by which I see. If these were shaded, it would 
It would remove the light that's coming in. It would filter out the light. You have to filter out all the wickedness of this world and all the hardship so that you can have a merry heart. And the way you do that is filter it through the light of eternity. Look what Jesus said. He said it like this. He said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 11 and 12, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you falsely, say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Did you hear what he just said? Hey, when everybody's ticked off at you at work and gossiping about you, rejoice and be glad. <laughs> They're trying to get me fired. Woo! That's what he's saying doing. And this is how he qualifies. And he says basically what I'm saying. He says, so filter it because great is your reward in heaven. Great. He says it again in the book of Luke chapter 6, verse 22. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult, exclude you. Come on, they didn't even pick you on the team. They all went on the staff retreat and didn't even ask you to come. Exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Verse 23. Rejoice in that day. Yes, I got fire. Yes. That's what he says. And leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. Let me help you understand this. Filter all of the mess of this life through the lens of eternity. Guess what? We're Christians, right? If you're a Christian, say me. Guess what happens when you die? You spend eternity forever and ever and ever in the hands of the living God. You're going you're gonna to have mansions that are being prepared for you. God is building your house in heaven right now. The streets are paved with gold. He'll wipe every tear from your eye. See, some of you, some of you young people especially, someone's lied to you that heaven's going to be boring, that we're going to sit around and play harps and sing kumbaya, my Lord, kumbaya. That's crazy. God created you and me. God created what is joyous and exciting. Do you think he's going to make heaven boring? Do you think that whatever he, if he's our creator and he put in us what is fun and enjoyable, don't you think that heaven's going to be fun and enjoyable? I've already talked to him about it. I'm going to have, listen, me and God are always having these conversations. I was like, listen, God, what I'm requesting on my checklist or what I want my man to have, I want an 80 acre pond in my backyard and I want to be able to catch bass the size of buses. So we've already been talking about it. We We've already, we've already discussed it. I'm actually going to be taller than everybody else in heaven. We've been discussing that. And I'm going to have abs. I'm ready. This is going to be so cool. And my job is going to have so much fun. In fact, part of my job is going to be telling Bujo jokes in heaven. We've been discussing it. It's God's for it. Come on. I want you to understand that everything that goes on this life, so what? I'm going to heaven. So what? At the end of the day, nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. Neither death, nor life, nor principalities, or powers. And, and, and you're allowing your joy to be stolen because you will not filter it through what? the lens of eternity. What does it matter? I read the end of the book. We win. We win. Well, I just got fired. We win. Man, my kid's not doing so good. We win. Man, I tell you right now, I just, I just don't understand. Life is so tough. Go to the Amazon. That's tough. Right now, your life is not tough. Your car didn't start. Oh, my life is just so terrible. I'm going to kill myself. My car didn't start. Whoa, 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 whoa. In light of eternity, you won't need a car in heaven. Your life is great. And this is what causes us to lose our joy. It's because we don't filter it all through. You know what? I'm saved. 
God loves me. I'm his. I will not spend eternity separated from him. I will not be cast out into the lake of fire with Satan and the demonic forces that were destined to hell and them dragging me with them. I'm going with the living God. I'm going to be forever and ever protected. I'm going to live with excitement and enjoyment. I'm going to get to pet my pet rabbit. I mean, I don't know what you're going to do, but the bottom line is this. In light of eternity, when you filter it like that, your heart can continue having joy. Here's the second thing that I would teach you on how to understand and protect the joy of your salvation and the, and, and the, the heart. Uh, number two is that you got to plan some fun stuff. you got to plan some fun stuff. How to protect, strengthen a merry heart, you got to plan some fun stuff. So 20 years ago, I remember when Christian counselors and psychologists all said, hey, if you want to keep your marriage strong, you got to start doing date nights. And I was like, why? And they were like, because you, your wife needs to know that you love her. I was like, what are you talking about? When we got married on that day, I told her I loved her. If I'd have changed my mind, I would have let her know. She, why does she think there's, there's something else going What's the problem? And they're like, no, you got to develop that love. You got to keep it fresh. I'm like, I go to work, don't I? And they're like, no, if you don't keep the, re- come on somebody, if you don't date her and you don't tell her how great she is and have these experiences, she starts doubting it and your hearts become separated. Frank, can I tell you it's the same thing with God? You gotta, you gotta carve out some fun stuff in your life. You gotta say, you know what? We're as a family, we're gonna do this. We're gonna laugh tonight. You know, as a family, we're gonna sit down. We're gonna watch all these Christian uh, comedians on YouTube, and let's just laugh. We, you gotta carve out some fun stuff in your life. Why? Because a merry heart is good medicine. But the only way to protect and cultivate a merry heart is you gotta start giving it some space to actually have fun. To actually have some. You keep taking on all the pressures of this world. You're trying to be responsible and work good jobs, and that's why you go out drinking because you want all the pressure to go away because you haven't learned to protect a merry heart so you start medicating with the wrong stuff ask me about that first doctor he gave me the wrong stuff but what you need is you need some cipro to get that amoeba it's good medicine to get that merry heart kicking in and then you don't need all the other stupid stuff a merry heart is good medicine you and i have to carve out the fun stuff look at proverbs 15 and 15 says all the days of the oppressed are wretched but the cheerful heart has a continued feast. You know what that's saying? All the days of the wretched, of the oppressed, excuse me, are wretched. Listen, it don't matter. It don't matter how many, how many mansions they build because they don't know Jesus because they don't have a new heart in them. They've never had the Jesus transplant in their heart. They've never surrendered to him. No matter what they do, if they win American Idol, they're still miserable. They're still doing drugs. They can't, they can't stop it. They can't keep a marriage together. No matter how, how much they get or do, they're still not happy. They're still bored. They're still miserable. Why? Because all the days of the oppressed are wretched. Oh, but look what it says about us. But for us, those of us that follow him, the cheerful heart has a continued feast. I've been in Africa where all the kid had was a stick and he just got saved. He's like, I got a stick, buster. You want to play with this stick? Yeah, let's play with this stick. It's a great stick, hallelujah, hallelujah. Why? They didn't need a lot of that. Why? Because they had a merry heart. They didn't need all the stuff that we think we need to have to have fun. Listen, you can have fun. You can carve out times with your family to laugh and tickle. Joel Osteen is a very famous preacher. But before he was famous, his dad was really famous as well, John Osteen. And John Osteen, you know, has a beautiful wife. And uh, Miss Osteen is an amazing lady. She's still alive. She's very, very uh, powerful woman of God. And she tells a story. Dodie Osteen is her name. She tells a story that, you know, uh, early on into their marriage, uh, they were both kind of type A and they got sideways with each other. And she said her husband wouldn't speak to her. The pastor wouldn't speak to her for two days. 
And so she was in there praying, asking God to fix him. And God said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to jump on his back and tickle him. She's like, that don't sound very spiritual. God says, do it. So he comes walking through the house. She's hiding behind the door. She jumps on his back and starts tickling him. He's like, what are you doing? She's like, I'm not letting you go until you start loving me again. And she tickled him till he almost teeted on himself, she said. Can I tell you something? It fixed their marriage. Are you with me? You got to carve out some fun stuff. And so I wanted to do that for you today with me and my family. And so I took my family and I said, hey, listen, let's do something fun and just show the church how we like to have fun. And so we did a dad joke competition. And, uh, you know, the dad jokes that are so horrible. And so we did a dad joke competition and, uh, and we actually recorded it for you. So we'll play that for you for just a moment. Watch this and enjoy. Hey, church family, I'm actually sitting here with the McCain kids, and we're about to do the Dad Joke Challenge. In light of all the cool stuff that we're doing during uh, Cog Days of Summer, we thought that we would do a little twist on that. And what we're going to do here today is each of us are going to tell jokes. So it's going to be me versus the kids. When I tell a joke, if they laugh, I get a point. When they tell a joke, uh, if I laugh, they get a point. Well, there's a couple little twists to this. First and foremost, as, someone, uh, as they're telling jokes, I'll have water in my mouth, and the way you'll know if I laugh is if I spit it out. Vice versa, if when I tell a joke, if they uh, spit the water out, I get a point. It's going to be awesome. Now, whoever loses has to eat the baby food. That's right. Fear factor time. Prunes, uh, just carrots, and oh, this is uh, just buttermilk squash. <laughs> so I have planned on them eating a lot of baby food today. So here we go in the McCain family dad joke challenge. I used to be addicted to the hokey pokey. But then I turned myself around. All right, here we go. Knock, knock. <laughs> Theodore. <laughs> Theodore was close, so that's why I knocked. <laughs> Pick up line, you ready? <laughs> here we go. Is your name Wi-Fi? <laughs> because I'm really feeling a connection. <laughs> <laughs> How do you fix a broken pumpkin? Huh. With a pumpkin patch. <laughs> there you go, I laughed. That was a good one. <laughs> All right. What did the janitor say when he jumped out of the closet? Supplies! <laughs> what did the ghost say to the vampire? Huh. You suck. <laughs> Where do you learn to make ice cream? Hmm. Mm, at Sunday school. <laughs> <laughs> All right, y'all start. Okay. First joke. What is Beethoven's favorite food? Banana. Mm. <laughs> you almost did it. You're shaking. How much does a polar bear weigh? Hmm. <laughs> Just enough to break the ice. How you doing? My name's Cohen. Did you hear about the man who got his, the whole left side of his body cut off? Mm. He's all right now. <laughs> Why don't skeletons ever go trick or treating? Because they have no body to go with them. Mm, that's just sad. <laughs> Did you know Joseph in the Bible played tennis? Mm -hmm. He served in the Pharaoh's court. Mm. <laughs> so I heard you're looking for a knight in shining armor. Mm -hmm. Well, it just so happens I'm wearing the full armor of God.
All right, sorry. Yo, lost! Now get I hate peanut butter. Yes! <laughs> Dad wins again. And my band bought that money. Break it down. Girl said you hallelujah. Girl said you hallelujah. Girl said you hallelujah. Come on, you know that's funny. <laughs> hey, you got to plan some fun. It's just not going to happen naturally. You got to plan it out. You got to carve it out. You got to say, you know, we're going to do something. So I tried it a year ago and it didn't work. The kids were jerks the whole time. I tried to take them somewhere. Try again. You got to carve out fun. Why? Because your heart needs it. That's how you cultivate and you protect a merry heart is that you got to give space for it to have the opportunity, your heart, the opportunity to laugh and to enjoy. Here's the third way that you're going to protect and cultivate a merry heart. And that is you got to depower trials by infusing joy. You got to depower the trials by infusing joy. Hey, you're going to go through mess in this life. You're going to. A friend of mine in this room, uh, someone very special to him, passed away this last couple of days. And they're going through it. It's a trial. It's tough. It's hard. And it's nothing easy about it. But you've got to infuse joy into the trials. Notice the wording that we use. Infuse joy. We take this straight out of the passage in the book of James chapter 1 and verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kind. Do you understand who he's saying this to in the book of James? This is written somewhere around 20, 30, 40 range A.D. You know what they're doing with Christians right now? They're taking them, kidnapping their kids putting them in the middle of the Colosseums and gladiators are cutting their heads off in front of everybody. And, and the response, the belief, what God says to them, consider it pure joy. As you're going through this and they're kidnapping and, and raping your children and your wives and, and killing you, consider it pure joy. Just, just embrace it as joy. God's doing something. God can do something great in the midst of the horrible trial. Defuse the trial by infusing, depower it by infusing joy. No matter how hard it is, can I tell you something? God is good. And know what? If you want to keep that heart, that heart that's good medicine, that merry heart, you've got to speak to that thing and say, you know what? God is good no matter how bad this situation is. You've got to learn. Listen, you've got to learn that your attitude determines your... Try it with me again. Your attitude determines your altitude. Do you like to be around a person with a bad attitude? The first thing an employee will tell you as I'm looking for their attitude. If their attitude stinks, I'm trying to fire them. I'm trying to get rid of them. Why? Because attitude's contagious. So if you can tell your attitude, be merry. Enjoy God. Smile even though you don't feel like it. God is good. Laugh. Laugh at the devil's schemes. Laugh at his plan to hurt you. Laugh at his plan to embitter you. Laugh at him. Have a good attitude in the midst of this trial. What will happen is it becomes contagious and everyone around you, it stiffens their spine. And they say, you know what? God is good. You know what? I laugh at you, Satan. You're not going to destroy me. Ha, 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 ha. I laugh at you. Ha, ha, ha. And you begin to laugh at the enemy's attempt to hurt you and to destroy your family. And you laugh at those trials. Why? Because a merry heart is good medicine. That's what's going to save and protect your soul from the bitterness that this world is trying to infuse and the hardship and the, and, the, and the responsibility of trying to provide for everybody and the overwhelming stress and all that. A merry heart is the good medicine that you need for your soul. That's what you got to have. And you've got to speak to that thing and say, I will not. Do you understand that laughter has some very physical attributes for you? It's medicine. Did you know that? I did some research on this. Look at this on the screen. Health benefits to laughing. Laughter boosts your immunity. Did you know that? Infection-fighting antibodies are released into the system when you start laughing. Did you know that? 
How about this other piece? Laughter expands the blood vessels, enhancing blood flow to essential organs and keeping cardiovascular disease at bay. When you laugh, you know what it does? It actually heals your heart and keeps cardiovascular disease at bay. The hardening of the heart. It can't happen for someone who understands to embrace joy, who, who understands to infuse laughter and joy in the midst of their trial and say, you will not get me, Satan. I laugh at you. God is still good. My life is still good. And not only that, but you cannot threaten me with heaven. I'm trying to get there. Let me put it in perspective. At the end of it all, when we die and it's over, I'll spend eternity with him. you got to learn to depower the trials by infusing it with joy. Here's the fourth thing you got to learn. Number four, and that is you got to get a good word. Number four, get a good word. There you go. Get a good word. Look what the scripture says in Proverbs 12 and 25. Anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. Makes what glad? The heart glad. Do you understand the reason why I ask you to raise your hand so we can pray for you? Because you need a good word. You need somebody to pray over you and say, God, I just pray strength over them. That's a good word. And what does that do? It makes the heart glad. You know, I ask you to read your Bible, not as a religious duty. Because when I'm reading the word of God and I'm going through things, all of a sudden I'll get a word and I'm like, that's it. That's what I need to do. Thank you, God. What does it do? Make my heart glad. What, are we, what does a glad heart do? It's good medicine to my soul. How do I get a merry heart? How do I keep a merry heart? I got to get a good word, man. You know why I do? We focus on small group life. Because if you're around people all day long who tell you you can't do it, who stand in judgment of your Christianity, uh-huh, yeah, you're supposed to be a Christian, there you went, there you went, you done went and got mad, punched the wall, you're supposed to be a Christian, go to that church on the hill, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know why I want you in small group life? So you can get around people and go, man, today was a bad day, dude. Whoo, I almost knocked my, my boss out. And you say, what? I punched the wall. And they was like, you ain't even a Christian. What? You, are you serious? Well, all I know is that God forgives me and he has grace on me. Man, thank you for that. Come on, let's pray about that. That's why I got to get you in small group life. Why? So you can get a good word. Because a good word does what? Strengthens your heart. And what is a strong, uh, a healthy heart, uh, you know, a merry heart? What does it do? It's, it, it strengthens your soul. It's good medicine to your soul. Here's the last and final. You still with me? Say yes. And that is this. You need to ask for help. Proverbs 3 and 7 says it like this. It says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. He says, listen, don't be wise in your own eyes. Look what he's talking about. He's talking about pride. He's talking about arrogance. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear God. He said, listen, fear God. And, and, and as you fear God and shun evil, this will bring health to what? Your body. You need health in your body, nourishment to your bones. What creates a, you know, a disease of the bones? Not having a merry heart. A broken spirit causes disease to the bones, but a merry heart can, you know, fights against that, that broken spirit. Listen, we've all been done dirty. Every one of you can point to someone who abandoned you, someone left you, someone misappropriated you. All of us have these moments in our life that almost are markers on our path. And some, for some of us, it's a wall. We can't even go any further because we're still talking about what he did two years ago. We're still mad about what the last pastor said. Or we're still frustrated and, and broken. Our heart's broken over what happened at, 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 in, the, in our first marriage. And we're still, we can't get past it. And listen, that's what the Word of God's saying. A merry heart is good medicine for that broken spirit that dryeth the bone. A, a merry heart gets you past that thing, gets you over that thing, and keeps you moving. 
It's my job as your pastor to teach you how to keep cultivating a merry heart. Trials will come. Things that are unfair and unjust to you as a believer, as a Christian who loves God, doing the best you can, they will happen. But friend, can I tell you something? Your attitude will determine your, your altitude. And you say, you know what? I'm trusting God. I've got a good, I've, I'm laughing. Don't you want to be around people who are happy? Don't you like being around people who are always encouraging? Who wants to be around a person? Man, you're never going to do that. It ain't going to work. I got certain people around me that, that they, they start into all that just because of the way they're wired. And I have to tell them, shut up. You're driving me insane. I mean, I, I want to go kill myself after hanging out with you for 30 minutes. Why? Because they've got a crushed spirit. But let me tell you what people tell me all the time after being with me and my family. Man, y'all are so life-giving. Let me tell you, people come, come up to me after church. Man, man, I laughed today. You're so crazy. <laughs> and, but I felt God in this place. Why? Because a merry heart is what? It's good medicine. You got to ask for help. That's our final point here. You got to say, you know what? God, I need some help. My heart is hard. Lord, I don't want my heart to be hard. I don't want to live in fear of failure. I don't want to be mad at everybody all the time. God, I want to I enjoy this life that I'm in. And I know that trials are going to come. And I know there misappropriated things have happened in my life. And I know people have blown it. And I know I want to minister to you. For God, you've got to help me. I need a merry heart. Would you stand with me all across the room? I want to minister to you for a couple moments. Proverbs 15, 13 says, A happy heart makes the face cheerful. A happy heart makes the face cheerful. When's the last time you smiled and somebody noticed? Is your heart happy? Or has it become heavy burdened? Overladen with such difficulty? So I'm just stressed out right now. Why? We win. What are you worried about? Well, I just, you know, I just, I just don't want to get sued by my ex-wife. You know, I mean, it's just saying, what are you worried about? Are you doing your best to serve Jesus? Yes. And he'll take care of it. Don't let your heart become embittered and hardened. Hard heart kills the body. I know people who've had quadruple bypass surgery. It's because the stress that they allowed to dominate their life, the way they ate. And they had to save their life by cracking open their chest, cleaning out their pipes, as they called it. I don't, I don't want you to have to get to that place of extremity where you come running up here one day and say, I'm about to kill everybody. I hate my life. If you're a Christian and you love God, you've got to cultivate a merry heart. You've got to protect it. The pieces that I gave you today will help you if you'll put them into place. It's not just a good message. You need to carve out some fun times. You need to ask for help. You need to learn to smile. You need to laugh at the enemy's schemes to hurt you and destroy you. You need to infuse that joy into your trials. They're going to happen. You've got to infuse it. Depower the trial. The trial doesn't have power over you. Because great is the God that I serve. And his love for me is real. As we close out this series, God is happy. I needed you to understand how much he likes you. To give you confidence that when hardship happens, that it's not God trying to teach you a lesson. It's the things of this world trying to destroy your heart. I need you to protect your heart. Why? Because this world is looking for the real God. And we're his advocates. Merry heart is good medicine. Would you close your eyes with me across the room? Every head bowed and every eye closed. When's the last, last time you laughed? Is your heart embittered at somebody? 
then I want you right where you stand and say, Lord, I, I release them. I want you to forgive them. Are you? When's the last time you, you just laughed, belly laugh? So it's been a long time, Pastor. You don't know what I've been through. I don't know what you've been through, but my Lord, what you've been through is dictating who you are instead of you dictating who you are. It's time for a merry heart. You need to humble yourself and say, Lord, help me. Ask the Lord for help here and now. Lord, I, I want to have a merry heart. I want to enjoy my life. I want to enjoy being a Christian. I want to enjoy serving you, God. I need you to get to this place. Because I tell you something. From the moment you became a Christian, the enemy's plan was to steal the joy of your salvation. You got to protect it. Father, I thank you for these amazing men and women of God that I get to pastor. I know they love you, Daddy. Lord, I thank you for laughter. (laughs) Thank you that you like us. And Lord, I, I know that if we're not careful, our heart becomes so hard and so overwhelmed with the stress of this life and trying to make it through the day and provide for our families and not give in to the old temptations and all that mess. Lord, I pray that we'd have an image shift in our brain and recognize that you've got it all worked out, that following you and obeying you is so much fun, that as you transplant your heart into our chest, that we can protect that joy. Lord, I just thank you right now for that joy to spill over into the men and women of God in this room. Lord, I just pray for joy. Joy unspeakable and full of glory is how your your scriptures say it. God, I pray, Lord God, that all the heart spots of the heart would begin to melt today. That, Lord God, they become tenderized again, sensitive. Lord God, they pushed away sensitivity because it was told them that that was weakness. God, I pray, Lord God, that in our weakness, your strength would be made perfect. Lord, I pray they carve out, do some practical things and carve out some fun thoughts. Lord, I pray right now, Lord God, that you'd give them ideas on how to do that for them and themselves and their family. Jesus, Jesus, we love you. We thank you for loving us. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you say, Pastor, I gotta be honest, my heart is hard. I've never had God's heart beating in my chest. I can't tell you that I've ever really fallen in love with Jesus and began to obey his teachings. I, don't, I can't say that I'm a Christian. If that's what a Christian is, I don't know if I, I'm pretty sure I'm not that. I've gone to church. I said a little prayer one time, but I don't really, I don't know if I can actually say that I love Jesus more than anything else in this world. But I realized when you said that, that that's, that's a problem. And I know I don't want to live like this anymore. I'm tired of living like this. I want, to, I want God in my life. I want that transformed heart that you're talking about. And I tell it in the way I interact with people. I really don't like people. I don't really love people. In fact, I see people as trying to hurt me. I don't have that many relationships. Frank, can I tell you something? That loneliness is of the heart, that's an indication that Jesus isn't there. No matter how difficult my life gets, I have this fullness inside of me. The Spirit of the Lord lives inside of me. God is my, my Savior, my love, the center point of my being. And if you're ready for a change, I'd like to pray with you. The Word of God says it like this. If you'll confess in your, with your mouth and believe in your heart that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that He would forgive you and cleanse you. Actually, what He does is welcome you into His family just by us repenting and praying and asking God to come into our life. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're not a Christian, or maybe you used to be, and you walked away, you're separated, you're divorced from God, I'd like to reconnect you today. I'd like to lead you in repentance and asking God to come into your life. I'm not going to call you forward. 
I'm not going to make a spectacle of you. I'm not trying to point you out. This is deep. This is private. This is serious. And I want you to have that moment by yourself with God, right where you stand. That's why every head is bowed and every eye is closed so no one can see. This is you and God having a private moment. Now, if you come to the conclusion you need God in your life, you recognize you're not a real Christian, you're pretty sure if you died today, you wouldn't go to heaven. Let's make that change today. Let's invite Jesus into our life. Let's ask the love of God to fill our chest, permeate our heart, and to transform us here and now. If that's you, I'd like to pray with you. No one's looking around, but I I feel like you need to have the courage to admit that to yourself and to heaven and to me. I'm the pastor. I'm the only one looking. So if that's you, say, Pastor, pray with me. I'm ready. Today, I want to change. I want God to come into my life. No one looking. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up right where you're at? I'll pray for you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Anybody else? Pray for me, Pastor. It's time. I'm ready to make a change. I'm ready to make Jesus Lord of my life. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, brother. Anybody else? Two more seconds. I don't want to belabor the point. Just a couple more seconds. Anybody else? Thank you, sweet love. Amen. You can put your hands down. I'm going to lead you in that prayer. In fact, I'm going to get everyone in the audience to pray it out loud with you so you're not by yourself. I want you to know that you know that the moment you confess with your mouth, you believe in your heart, he is going to forgive you. You will be forgiven and cleansed and made whole. Say it like this. Say, Jesus, today I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I recognize that I'm sinning against you. So today I repent. I turn away from my old way of living. Jesus, I declare I love you. I ask you now, fill my heart with your love. Transform my whole being. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Write my name in your book of life. I promise to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for just a moment. Father, I pray for every man and woman who lifted their hand, who prayed that prayer out from the depths of their heart. Lord, as you just now have filled them with your Holy Spirit, as they've been forgiving, may they sense it. May it be like, may it be like they just came in from working out in the yard, dirt and grime all over them, took a shower, and just feel the cleansing of God over them. Or may they sense and feel that you have embraced them like a son, like a daughter. May they know that they know that even, even when they sin and make a mistake from this point forward, that they're yours. That, Lord, you'll pick them back up and clean them off and they'll keep walking with you. And God, I d- declare that as these servants of the Most High God have joined into the family of God, that you no longer call them servants, you call them friends. They are yours forever. Lord, I bless them and I call them into a place of peace and joy. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said amen.